so this morning, as the kids came forward, they didn't know they were going to walk back with horseshoes. What a surprise, right? Who here loves surprises? Raise your hand. Raise your hand high if you love surprises. Okay. A lot of surprise people here. I love surprises too. Um, I love surprise gifts. I love surprise birthday parties. Has anyone ever had a surprise birthday party thrown for them? Surprise birthday party, folks? Yeah? I had one at 40, 30. How old was I? 40. Yeah, it was a couple years ago. Anyway, see my age there? Okay. Um, I love surprise trips. Surprise trips are fun, too. I even like surprise guests at our house, people who just want to pop in. I like that. There's no issue for me on that, right? Why don't we do this more often? <clears throat> you know, sort of pop in and just say hello to people. Um, everything has to be so scheduled and so pre-planned, right? Um, what if they're too busy for me? Then we might feel bad. Um, so therefore, we don't do it. To pop in on someone else unannounced may not be welcomed and can feel very uh, intrusive to the person receiving the visit, right? I know that unannounced visitors are not okay for many. Can I get an amen, right? <laughs> what if the house isn't picked up? What if the bathrooms aren't clean? What if the refrigerator is empty? What if there's any sign of life that happens in this house? You know, a parent. <laughs> what if it, we show signs that people actually live here? <laughs> what if my makeup isn't on? Okay. okay, so why awkward? Why intrusive? This person receiving the, the visit may not be prepared for the visit. Um, just curious, anyone here like unannounced visits? Anyone like unannounced? Okay, keep your hands up. I'm going vi to visit you this year. Okay, all right. I see a couple. I see that hand. I see that hand. There you go. Okay, so, um, so that's 2019. I have a lot of things to do. So someone once said that surprise visits always bring pleasure and joy. If the arrival of the visitor didn't bring pleasure, then the departure would. Right? Yeah? So, all right. So we are in the season of Advent, and we have lit, lit the second candle, the peace candle, this morning. And we have an invitation from Scripture. We have an invitation from John the Baptist, John the Messenger. Um, and peace is part of this invitation. And we'll get to the invitation in just a minute. But kind of to bring some focus to our Sunday morning, <clears throat> on the second Sunday of Advent, we listen with open hearts to the minds, uh, and with open hearts and minds, to the one who proclaims God's righteousness and announces the visit, the incarnation of God in his son Jesus. By listening, we learn what we can do to prepare ourselves to live in right relationships as embodied in Jesus' life and message. If you were with us last week, we read from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, and we read about God's righteousness, that the divine will keep his promises to his people. This week, we read of the messenger, we read of the forerunner, we read of the one, John the Baptist, who will prepare for God's people 
for the coming righteousness of God in Jesus. With this birth, this new reality, we will see what righteousness looks like in flesh and blood. In Jesus, God's righteousness revealed. This song, this hymn from Zechariah, it names this righteousness. And this is our theme for the Advent season. Before we dive into the passage, a little backstory uh, about Zechariah. So every year, this second Sunday in Advent has the story of John the Baptist. Okay? And John the Baptist is Zechariah's son. But it's only in this year, year C, uh, do we have uh, this song from Zechariah. Zechariah is the first man named in the whole Gospel of Luke. He was a high priest, and his wife, Elizabeth, was a daughter of a priest as well. So there's some PK issues that they have to work out in their life, right? So, uh, so Elizabeth is also a relative of Mary, uh, the mother of Jesus. It is said of both Zechariah and Elizabeth that they are righteous and blameless. And we know from the story that um, Elizabeth is also barren and unable to have children. The story goes that Zechariah was on the rotation to serve as the high priest at the temple. And after casting lots, it fell on Zechariah that he would be the one to enter the Holy of Holies, um, the Holy of Holies, uh, to burn incense, incense to the altar of the Lord. During this particular rotation, in this particular time, an angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah. And this angel explains to him, you and your wife, Elizabeth, are to have, you will have a child, and you will name him John. A little bit about John. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. And that he is not to drink wine or liquor. I'm surprised he wasn't able to dance either. But also, before our reading this morning, um, there's a little back and forth between Zechariah and the angel. Kind of a little going, you know, a little conversation that ensues. And I don't know if the angel got upset or frustrated or whatever, but the angel says, okay, no more talking. <laughs> In fact, you can't talk, you can't speak again until your son is born, okay? So Zechariah is encouraged by others at the time of the birth to just an assumption, you would name your son Zechariah II, right? Following your name. But Zechariah writes down on his iPad tablet, because it says tablet in there. I don't know if it was Samsung or if it was, I don't know what kind of tablet. But he says, he writes down, he says, his name will be John. And what does John mean? What does John mean? John means Jehovah has been gracious. Jehovah has been gracious. So with this, his tongue now free, he can now speak, the crowd gathers around and pondered. Well, if it's not Zechariah in the name of John, what then will this child be? What will this child be? This miracle child, what will be his path? And we do this with our kids, don't we? You're holding your newborn baby, 
and we, and we just in those moments, we ponder, what will this child's path be? What will the son, son's calling or contribution to the world be? What will my daughter's purpose be? How will God choose to gift this person to reveal reality at its deepest level, a reality of love? How will this one, this child, reflect the goodness and righteousness of God? We do that. We ponder these things. In the second half of the song that was read this morning, Zechariah speaks of the role his son will carry out. Just imagine the excitement for Zechariah. Just imagine firstborn, old age. An excitement that cannot be contained in mere words, but comes to us in an art form, a song. You know, God is just as excited when he considers you. God has indeed laid a path for you as well. And we'll talk more about that path in a minute. So now we turn to the song, the song itself. There are four great Advent songs that come to us in the Gospel of Luke. Um, By far, the most popular would be Mary's Magnificat. That's like the one that's the, maybe got the most beautiful song behind it, right? However, this song, this prophecy has so much significance that only art can carry it. So the song begins with God as the subject, say verse 1, and then like verse 2 we'll call, it turns to John the Baptist and who he is to be. So in verse 68, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. This word has come. Just in looking at that, this, this, this word has, is used twice in the song. Um, episkeptomai. Episkeptomai is the Greek word. Translated here in the NIV, has come. But many other translations has, it says, has visited. Has come, has visited. It, but this is a special kind of visit. This same word used, used elsewhere in Scripture It describes the way someone might visit a lonely person, perhaps a widow in distress. It's the kind of visit that is motivated by someone who knows of a need and goes to visit and saying, what can I do to help? That's the kind of visit that this is speaking of. It's it's a visit, this visit is one of healing. This visit is one of salvation. Even the, the definition in the, in the, the, the Strong's Dictionary, it's the biblical dictionary, um, to look upon or after, to inspect, to examine with their own eyes in order to see how one is to visit the poor, the afflicted, the sick, to look upon in order to help, to look upon to visit in order to be a benefit or a blessing. So God has come to visit. 
God has come to visit. And Zechariah is singing in this psalm of this visit. Another interesting thing I noticed is that even in these first three verses, this is a past tense kind of thing. Has visited, has come to us. Um, Are the people already saved? Wait, 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 wait. John hasn't prepared the way of the Lord yet. Jesus, Jesus, he's not even here yet. How can this be past tense? Perhaps salvation is already present because of God's promise in the past to Abraham. That this indeed is an ongoing work of salvation. Does salvation start with the arrival of Jesus? Or does salvation start at the promise? It starts with the promise. And it's an ongoing work of salvation. So more of the song in verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation, which I just think is weird. Horn, I don't, you know, like, like what's the horn, right? There you go, clown horn in my mind. Okay, stop, stop. Okay, he has raised up a horn of salvation in the house of his servant David. As he has said through the holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Salvation from our enemies. Remember last week in the prophet Jeremiah, at that time in human history, Israel is in Assyrian captivity and Judah is in exile in Babylon. Fast forward to the time of this reading for Zechariah. Now, God's people are all under the boots of the empire. They are all under captivity from Rome. Yet God's people are not delivered from Rome, as it says, but perhaps delivered from Rome's power. This is salvation. This is salvation. So all of this salvation talk and rescue, it's not just so there's salvation. There's a purpose. There's a purpose. And continuing on in verse 74, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to what? And to enable us. Enable us to serve him without fear. And serve him how? In holiness and righteousness before him all of our days, to be able to serve the Lord without fear, again, in holiness and righteousness. We'll we'll talk more about righteousness in a minute. Then the song turns towards John the messenger, okay, John the Baptist, explaining both both who he is and what he is to do in his life as part of the ongoing story of salvation. Verse 76, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give you his people, uh, to give his people the knowledge of salvation. So, so just three observations. John will be the prophet of the Most High. Whew. Awesome. Prepare the way for him, number two. And thirdly, to give knowledge of salvation. 
So in this season of Advent, this theology behind Zechariah's song is perfect. This Holy Spirit-filled song reminds us of God's promises. The words of promise that we spoke about last week, even from Jeremiah, the words of his holy prophets from old, and the oath that, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham. So as I mentioned before, God is visiting. Episkeptomai, I've been practicing. God is visiting a world that is in desperate need of help. And God is intimately aware of their situation, these people who are in need of help, his chosen. And God has a deep desire to move in and to visit by sending his only begotten son. And what was true back then, I think is also true today. God deeply desires to connect with his creation, to connect with humanity. Even you, even me. So every Advent and Christmas, we are reminded of this truth. The question is, are we ready for this divine visit? Are we in the right frame of mind? Are our hearts prepared? Are we ready in our bodies to experience a new word? It's true that we spend long, long hours in this Advent season preparing for visitors. Get the house clean. Visitors are coming over. But what does it mean? What does it? What does getting ready for the Christ look like? How does preparation take shape for this visit? Now, I know it might seem kind of weird to think about Jesus or the divine merely just visiting us again, like he'll just pop in every year, right? Doesn't he live in us, in us, in him? Yes. Don't we know of his presence and the Holy Spirit already? The answer is yes. However, I think we're invited in this Advent season to focus on what it's leading towards. It's the first coming, Jesus' first coming to earth, his visit to us, his first incarnation, Emmanuel, God with us. This is what Advent is to bring focus to. But I think even as Mark shared earlier, we are in a second Advent, if you will. What does preparing for Christ's return look like? Have you ever wondered why in this second week of Advent, every year we have a John the Baptist reading talking about his proclamation and his ministry? In Luke 
3, verse 3 that Mark read earlier. We, he went, John the Baptist went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. You know, every week we, we're going to have someone light the candle, so the wreath, the candles on the wreath, you know, peace, uh, hope, peace, joy, and love. Where's the candle of repentance? Doesn't it seem odd <laughs> that right here in the second week of Advent, where, I mean, should we add a, one next week? A candle of repentance? It's also interesting to me that all four Gospels speak of John the Baptist, but only two have the story of Christ's birth. So I think it's significant. It's, this, is, this, is, this has weight. We need to pay attention. John, here is, John is here to help people prepare for Christ's visit. John is here to help us to clean the house. He's, help, he's here to help us to prepare our lives, prepare our minds, prepare our hearts. So that when we hear of God's tender mercies, as the song goes, we will be ready. And so we can't have Jesus first and without first considering John. John must come first. If we didn't, it would make for a very shallow experience of the, of the Advent season. So there's an invitation from John to turn, to return, to repent, to reset our minds, and once again center ourselves on the holiness and righteousness of God. Like children, anticipating Christmas morning. We just want to jump into Luke 2, don't we? Luke 2 is the Christmas story. But there are 80 verses in chapter 1, and it is long. It's a long chapter of waiting. It's a long chapter of listening, of watching, of longing, and of preparing. So the song today from Zechariah invites us to pause, to consider our own preparedness for this divine visit. So let us take our cue from, John, from, from, sorry, from Luke and pause. Take time for some, some potentially deep and reflective moments and ponder this message of John the Baptist, that John, John must come first. This preparedness has to do with repentance. Something, well, no, just, this is Advent. We should have cookies and, you know, just have parties the whole time. So in this Advent season, even today, it's not a, hey, the doorbell rings, quick, sweep everything under the rug. No. This is a deeper work. This is a much deeper work. So we do this individually, but we also do this 
as a community of faith, as a family. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. The righteousness of God leads us to repentance. His tender mercies lead us to repentance. So we're going to have some moments of quiet with some questions that come. And um, just invite you to, to take these in and to consider. Um, so I grew up in the Catholic Church, and oftentimes before we would go to confession, we'd be handed a list of questions to help prepare us to go into the confessional with the priest. So it's kind of the same idea. And then you can come forward and tell me all your sins. No, just joke. No, it's just to prepare. It's just questions to, to trigger, to uh, call to mind and to heart some of the, the ways that we have gone against God's plan.